It's 11.30 on Friday, the second day of April. It's time for Midday. Tyler Cavalli along with you. Happy Good Friday. Jason Jorgensen is in. Tell us some interesting possible news uh, with the Huskers. Hear more about that in just a moment. Bob Brogan will step in. Of course, markets are closed, so he'll tell us uh, basically how his day's been going. Uh, and then, of course, we will visit with Paul Perkins about these beautiful temperatures that we're seeing. 70 degrees in Sydney right now already. It's only 1030 out there in the mountain time zone, and they're already seeing 70. That's the warmest spot in the state. Temperature is only going to get warmer. He will tell us more. But let's get caught up with Susan Littlefield to give us a preview of what's to come on midday. Susan, how are you? I'm doing well. The sun is out. It's a little windy, though, so we're back in a red flag warning. Mm, yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's going to be that way for uh, the near future, unfortunately. Yeah, very much so. Well, speaking of weather, Al Dutcher kicks it all off here at 1219 as he talks about possibility of rain next week. And then what everybody wants to know, when can those planters get in the field? Mm. Then stepping up here at 1245, Chabella will be talking with somebody who's retiring from UNL. Some exciting but sad news for those in the industry. And then wrapping up everything, it is our FNBO Friday's Feeders. And that is going to be kicked off with Clay Patton as he talks with Flying H Genetics. Now, this is kind of interesting. They've been developing bulls and heifers in the roughage and ready system for nearly six decades. You're not going to want to miss that interview mm -hmm at 117. So wishing everybody from the farm team a very happy Easter to all our listeners. And markets are closed, but we've got some great news for you throughout the day. Okay, good stuff. Have a good Easter weekend. You as well. Thank you very much, Susan. Let's uh, talk with Jason Jorgensen in sports. Maybe some possible interesting news developing in Husker Nation. Now the Pac-12 is looking for a commissioner as Larry Scott is stepping down and Nebraska Athletic Director uh, Bill Moose's name has showed up in a story of a potential potential candidate for that job. It would make sense, although uh, Moose has said and reiterated he planned at least honor his contract in Nebraska through 2022. But if you want to play, hey, let's speculate game, it makes sense. It's a, it would be a, a unique opportunity. Of course, we'd be going back to the Pac-12 with something he's very familiar with. Uh, that'd be interesting. Do you think there's a, a good possibility, if he put his name in his hat or if they recruited him, uh, that he would take it or get it? Well, I think he'd at least look at it. So I don't see why not. Yeah, so it wouldn't uh, hurt. We'll just keep our eye uh, on that one. Also, speaking of contracts, today Kansas gave mm -hmm. Bill Self mm -hmm. a lifetime contract, which pays him at least five point four million dollars a year with a two hundred thousand dollar increase every year. Wow. This is kind of crazy that Kansas would do this, but then their their athletic department uh, has been a little odd here for a while. Uh, they give <laughs> Self a lifetime contract without a new AD in place, right. and the investigation of the basketball program continues forgot about that yeah that's right so they must be fairly confident that bill self has wiped his hands clean this time again as nothing ever seems to stick to him how old is he by 58 the way? he's just 58 he could be around a while he's got some years yeah. left in him wow okay well congratulations <laughs> to bill self certainly it's a good friday for him no kidding all right uh bob brogan markets are close what do you have for us today Stocks rose in many of the markets worldwide that were open, and uh, we'll have a little bit on that. America's employers unleashed a burst of hiring in March. Uh, Tesla is delivering a lot of electric vehicles in the first quarter. And those are some of the business headlines. All right, good stuff. Thank you very much, Bob. Here's Clay Patton. 
Time for regional ag weather update here on this Friday. It's brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. Paul Perkins back in the studio with me. And, well, Paul, these temperatures are uh, looking pretty nice already. 70 in Sydney. Yes, uh, also over northeast Colorado, uh, Ray, Colorado, sitting with a temperature right now of 70. Mm-hmm. Most of us about 55 to 60 in Nebraska. As warm as 65 in the Nebraska Sandhills towards Thedford. Definitely capitalizing on those downslope winds coming off the Sandhills. And we are also seeing mainly the low 60s on into northern areas of Kansas. Now, while we like this warm-up, it'd be <laughs> even better if we didn't have these pesky winds. Yeah, and that will go away tomorrow. We're just ahead of a trough of low pressure in central and east areas in Nebraska and Kansas, and this trough of low pressure fairly strong, so we're seeing some fairly strong winds ahead of it, and that is, of course, promoting some elevated fire weather concerns. So this upcoming weekend, Saturday and Sunday, I mean, it, it sounds like it's going to be a beautiful weekend to be outside. Especially tomorrow, we're looking at highs in the upper 70s, much lighter winds. The winds will pick up a little bit on Sunday, but not as much as we're seeing right now because many locations experiencing some wind gusts on into the 30s currently. So right now, we're just hmm. getting a taste of what's to come. Yes, uh, just a small taste and even warmer weather on the way underneath a dome of high pressure building up today. <clears throat> it will be sunny and warmer with highs 15 to 20 degrees warmer than usual. Just ahead of this trough of low pressure across the central and east, our south winds gusting up to 35, elevating the fire weather conditions to some near critical levels. Our warming trend continues into the weekend and Monday. Highs will warm into the upper 70s and 80s, or about 20 to 25 degrees warmer than average. In behind the passage of this low-pressure trough are winds tomorrow much lighter before they do increase slightly for Easter Sunday. Here in central Nebraska, we will maintain a fair distance from any record high territory. In case you were wondering, we would need to get into the upper 80s to get to a record high. Uh, Looks like we'll be just shy of that by about 5 to 6 degrees. We've seen upper (laughs) 80s at this time before? It it has happened in the past, so it's not unusual usual that we are getting oh, this warmth man. right now all right but yeah most of nebraska at least uh, central nebraska should be in the upper 70s till the low 80s for tomorrow through monday during the midweek this high pressure ridge starts to give way to low pressure and a cold front currently some small chances of rain from monday night into wednesday our daytime highs will drop to the 70s on tuesday the 60s by wednesday but overall not too much of a cool down on the way that is reflected in our long-term forecast temperature is likely to be at least slightly warmer than normal in Nebraska, Kansas, and the eastern two-thirds of the U.S. for Wednesday all the way through April 15th. For a reference point in central Nebraska, average daytime highs in the early half of April warm from the upper 50s to the low 60s, and overnight lows warm from the low to the mid-30s. Rainfall in Nebraska and Kansas likely to be near normal to slightly below normal for Wednesday through April 15th in Nebraska and Kansas. On the plains, warm and breezy conditions promoting spring field work and winter wheat development. The warm air is combining with some wind and low humidity and leading to that elevated threat of wildfires. Significant soil moisture shortages also exist across the Dakotas and parts of Texas. In the Corn Belt, chilly conditions lingering east of the Mississippi River, where this morning's low temperatures generally ranged in the 20s. In the south, freezes occurred this morning as far south as central Georgia and northern areas of Alabama and Mississippi, a threat to their blossoming fruits and emerging summer crops. Hard freezes observed in parts of the interior southeast, including eastern portions of Kentucky and Tennessee. Little precipitation expected to occur across the nation in the next several days. Near record-setting warmth in some of the nation's midsection will contrast with lingering cool conditions across the east. Weekend temperatures could approach 90 as far north as South Dakota, 
by Tuesday, some drought easing showers may develop across the parts of the northern plains. 90. That sounds good. <laughs> that sounds real good. Now, you were talking about fire danger. Obviously, some areas, a uh, red flag warning here in Nebraska. Will we, con- see, will we see that continue throughout this weekend? It should uh, taper off because these winds right now, uh, the, the main culprit of the fire threat for today, and once again, yeah, a red flag warning in effect for the panhandle and also central and east areas of both Nebraska and Kansas. The west central part of Nebraska and uh, uh, western Kansas, not under any kind of a red flag warning, but once again, central and eastern areas, that red flag warning for today, mainly due to the strong winds gusting mm-hmm. up to 35. Okay. All right. So it's at least good news. We won't probably see that Saturday, Sunday. Still, don't, uh, you know, don't try to do open burns. You can hold off. Yeah, that vegetation's still not green yeah, out right. there yet. But yeah, <laughs> tomorrow looks to be very nice. Uh, upper 70s and some light winds for tomorrow. All right. Good stuff. Uh, if somebody did want to look ahead to that forecast, where could they go? Weather page, krvn.com. Thank you. <laughs> Chad Moyer with you here on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome back, and it is time for our weekly conversation with Nebraska ag climatologist Al Dutcher. Al, thanks for uh, joining us here today. Not a bad week weather-wise, but what does the uh, what does the first full week in April have in store for us? Well, after all that precipitation we had in March, it was nice to have a, a fairly dry week across the state, although we did see some cooler temperatures work in midweek and some Low temperatures that got down into the teens and the low 20s. And now we've seen that cold air start to slide to the east as region starts to build in over the central United States. And as that trough to the east progresses further eastward and that ridge builds in, of course, we've got these big winds coming from a southerly component, bringing up some warmer air from the south. And that trend will continue as we go through the weekend, although we should start to see the winds subside as we get into the latter half of the weekend early next week before we start to look at another trough coming in the western United States that's going to impact us from the midweek period on. So the bottom line is a widespread region of the central United States will see temperatures well into the 70s. And by the time we get into Sunday, I suspect that we're going to see widespread 80s across the southern half of the state, probably upper 70s, maybe low 80s across the northern part, and widespread mid-80s most likely are going to occur on Monday. As we get into Tuesday, or Monday night Tuesday, there is some signs within at least a GFS model that maybe a little piece of energy will shoot out from that trough that will eject out of the central Rockies and maybe touch off an isolated shower or thunderstorm across portions of southeastern Nebraska. I wouldn't hold a lot of faith in that. But as we get into Tuesday, that trough starts to move out into the Plains region. We can see the development of a surface low somewhere within east central southern Colorado. And then that will start to move toward the northeast, slowly pulling up a lot of moisture into our region. And from here, this is where the models get all crazy. And depending on which day you look at them, you get a different solution. We've seen the model move that moisture up into the northern plains, cut off that low and spin it around for three or four days before moving it toward the southeast. We've seen it move to that precipitation shield right over the central corn belt sit around and then basically move up into the Great Lakes and quickly exit. And now today we're back to a situation where we're back into the central northern plains, cutting that system off. A lot of uncertainty from midweek on. We'll see cooler temperatures are going to return back into the 50s and 60s for highs as we see cloud cover. Precipitation right now, fairly generous across the South Dakota, the southern half of North Dakota in the half-inch range. We're looking at basically a half inch to an inch here, but I suspect we will see totals increase is what's been the trend lately in the models as a system comes out 
expect somewhere within the central United States, we're going to see some one plus inch totals. And as that system moves to the eastern Corn Belt, probably going to see extensive rainfall there as we get toward the end of next week. That means that the next system that comes down the pipeline expected to be mid-month, which is showing up now in the GFS model, will create another path of precipitation across the central plains before we start to see an extended, more extended period of dryness in the model starting to materialize the third full week of the month. And it looks like that might extend out toward the end of the month. So get through this moisture events here. These next couple of ones gives us an opportunity to get some moisture in western Nebraska. And then we start to see maybe a drier trend to get some planting going. But it's going to be a little slow haul here over the next seven to ten days. We've got several systems to deal with. They are moisture events. The only concern I have is they get out of hand, especially in central and eastern Nebraska, where we've seen extensive moisture the last three months. Start to look at some issues in terms of planting delays. All right, very good. Things to keep an eye on for sure. Thank you so much for the information and the insight. That's Nebraska ag climatologist Al Dutcher. Here on the Rural Radio Network, Chad Moyer reporting. Time for Midday Sports. Jason Jorgensen back with us once again. And we previewed it last hour, but some potential big news for big man up top for the Huskers. Yeah, we'll see how this all shakes out. The Omaha World Herald with a story that uh, Nebraska Athletic Director Bill Moose could be among the candidates for the Pac-12 commissioner's job. The San Jose Mercury News reported this week that Moose is one of many names under initial consideration to succeed Larry Scott, who's stepping down from that role. Now, this would make sense. Moose, former Washington State football player, was AD at both Oregon and Washington State and is generally considered to be one of the experts in the league over the last quarter century. But once again, this is just preliminary, uh, but it's, it's something to keep an eye on. Seems like it would make sense uh, on both ends if he did take that position. I know you did mention last hour that he did mention he did want to stay through the end of his contract, but you know that's through 2022, so it's really only another year. Yeah, people say that all the time. Right, something better comes around, but we'll can't blame him. No, can't blame him if he no, takes especially it, especially for taking a look at it. Husker baseball team is in Illinois this Easter weekend. Huskers have been red hot. They won six in a row to stand at 11-4 and four on the year. And head coach Will Bolt says they're not looking too far ahead. With our group of guys and coaches and, and everything else, I mean, we are literally just focused on today and just being our best today, um, setting ourselves up to have a good weekend. Um, and, and really, honestly, nothing changes for us. I mean, we're just we're going out there with the same mindset that we, we want to go win the day. This is the best start for the Huskers since 2009. We'll see if they can keep it rolling on the road this week against Illinois. Game one of the series starts tonight at 6. Uh, the game here on 880 KRBN. Kansas men's basketball coach Bill Self has signed a lifetime contract extension with the school. The 58-year-old, whose current contract was set to expire next year, has reached an agreement on a five-year rolling agreement that automatically adds one year at the conclusion of each season for the remainder of his career. The new contract guarantees him $5.41 million per year and a $200,000 increase every year. That is insane. And again, just imagine if he does somehow get fired, and what would that buyout be? Be a lot. Be a big chunk of change for him. Good for him. I mean, you can't turn that down, that kind of contract. It's just odd that KU would do that without a new, without a new AD and with NCAA sanctions and infractions still looming over that program. Mm. 
Women's Final Four is set for tonight. South Carolina at Stanford playing the first game, followed up by UConn and Arizona. And the UNK volleyball team beat Fort Hay State last night. They'll have their final home match of the season tomorrow against Washburn. Lumbers have dealt with a number of injuries this spring, and head coach Rick Squires is proud of how they've come together. Oh, they've competed as well as we could have hoped. I mean, uh, the last two or three matches, I guess it's been, you know, when we look back to the fall and we projected our starting lineup uh, that we would have probably used in the fall, uh, the last three games, only one hitter has been in the rotation from what we thought we were going to have, and that's M.K. Wolf. And kind of speaks to the depth hmm. that the Lopers have. They're 11-2 and this spring. Big match tomorrow against Washburn. That one starts at 4. If you can't make it to Health and Sports Center, we'll have it on 93.1 The River and 106.9 in Kearney. Tickets, uh, once again, I'm sure being purchased online on your phone. Yep, LoperTickets.com. Also, you can show up and you can purchase those, but you have to do it through your phone. So you might as well oh. just purchase a ticket yeah. ahead of time. Yeah, just everybody time yep. to just do yep. it <laughs> on your way to the arena. All right, very good. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. monthly survey of business leaders suggests that strong economic growth will continue over the next few months in nine Midwest and Plain states as businesses continue to recover from the coronavirus pandemic. Creighton University economist Ernie Goss says growth might be stronger if not for bottlenecks in receiving raw materials and supplies. Uh, one thing that really hit in this survey was uh, disruptions, supply disruptions, that would be supply bottlenecks, for example. Eight out of ten purchasing managers reported that they were being hit hard by supply disruptions. One out of four uh, indicated shipping and transportation issues were having some significant I- uh, impacts on their ability to grow their uh, overall economic outlook, output. The monthly survey covers Arkansas, Iowa, Kansas, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, North Dakota, Oklahoma, and South Dakota. 24 new cases of COVID were reported by Two Rivers Public Health Department in the seven-county region it serves for Wednesday and Thursday. The Two Rivers website can be uh, launched to get more detailed information The new confirmed cases for Wednesday include six in Buffalo County, one in Dawson, and three in Phelps County. On Thursday, the new cases involve 10 in Buffalo County, two in Dawson, and two in Phelps County. The Two Rivers Public Health Department reminds people to remember the three C's, that's avoiding crowded places, close contacts, and confined spaces. In Kansas, authorities have rescued a man who fell into a grain storage facility near Salina and became trapped. The Salina Fire Department Fire Marshal Troy Long said the man was apparently trying to remove a clog when he fell into a grain mover system at the Schooler Grain Elevator. The Salina Journal reports that the machinery was quickly shut down. Long said crews were able to remove part of the grain mover system and safely get the man out. He was taken to a hospital with unknown injuries. Long said the department trains for situations like that often. Police in Omaha say a passenger died when a car she was in hit a utility pole and rolled. The driver of the car was arrested. 
Police say 23-year-old LaPree Ava Carroll Fansler of Papillion was not wearing a seatbelt and thrown from the car. She was taken to a hospital where she was pronounced dead. The driver, 26-year-old Edward Purvis, was arrested on suspicion of vehicular homicide caused by driving recklessly. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. Hello, this is Governor Pete Ricketts inviting you to join me for my next Governor's Monthly Call-In Show this coming Monday from 2 to 3 p.m. Central Time and 1 to 2 p.m. Mountain Time. I'm excited to grow Nebraska, and I look forward to taking your calls and questions. Please tune in and stay involved with your state government with my monthly call-in show from the Nebraska Broadcasters Association and this radio station. The Nebraska Rural Radio Association presents the Governor's Call-In Show Monday at 2 p.m. on 880 KRVN. After 30-plus years as UNL's wheat breeder specialist, Dr. Stephen Benzinger retired in March this year. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Benzinger has a strong history in the panhandle of Nebraska, across the state and in other states, with working with producers and wheat varieties. He talks about working as a wheat breeder at the UNL High Plains Ag Lab in Sydney. Well, what I would say, that the part that I appreciate is, is we've had a long list of really talented people at the High Plains Ag Lab. You know, usually they're, you know, they're all based in Scotts Bluff. Occasionally they're based actually at the High Plains Ag Lab. But we've had an extraordinary list of talented people. When I first came there, uh, Len Nelson was the alternative crops person. And then Dave Boltensberger. And then uh, Deepak Santra. And, and now I'm working more with the uh, cropping systems people, which were formerly uh, Drew Lyon, but now Cody Creech. And then the state variety trial has moved there, so that's Amanda Easterly. So I, I guess what I would say is we've been lucky, and we've always had extraordinarily good people at the Panhandle Research and Extension Center. Bainzinger is not only known for his wheat varieties, but also as a communicator. Cody Creech, Nebraska Extension Dryland Cropping Specialist, says Benzinger is well-respected by the growers and a fantastic storyteller. So when he talks about his varieties, he, he's able to tell a story, and, uh, and that just uh, captures the uh, grower's attention, and, and he can really con- uh, convey information. And so uh, when I first arrived um, as a new Extension Specialist, I was, uh, at first I was really uh, in awe at how he was able to, to uh, present to growers. And and I learned a lot just by uh, able to you know you know just from watching him really, um, he does such a fantastic job. And so uh, that's the first thing I noticed because I had ne- never really spent much time with him before that. Benzinger also has a reputation of helping others in his field and outside of his field, as Cody Creech says he helped him in his early years. How he tried to help out young faculty members like myself. Um, he was always looking for ways to uh, lift others up. Um, and uh, help them get off on the right foot. And so uh, whether it was uh, collaborating with him or him going out and trying to foster new collaborations for me, uh, he was uh, just always welcoming and looking out for others. And that, and as a new faculty member, when you're trying to get started, that's pretty important. And so I'm, I, I, I'm grateful for his efforts to include me on uh, existing projects and new projects that were going on. Benzinger's research always kept the growers' needs in mind. He worked with many farmers throughout the years, including Chris Cullen, a wheat grower in Hemingford. Cullen says Benzinger was always truthful with the growers. 
you know, if there's something good about it, right, he, he enforced it. He didn't boast about it, but he, you know, he told about it. But if there's something that was negative or could probably be a challenge for that variety area, disease resistance that wasn't up to some other varieties, he would let you know that. So you knew all your risks going in. Well, one of his tales that he was always say he, when he released a variety, he says, you know, I like to see all these varieties when they, because they, they bring them up over a number of years, you know, they, supposedly 12 years before they release a variety. And he says, you know, he considers a success when he sees that problem in his nursery instead of in our fields. So he likes to hopefully get those problems figured out before they're released so it doesn't have an impact, a negative impact on a, on a grower's uh, budget or his, his earning ability when he plants a variety. But, you know, he was just an incredibly humble person, and uh, and yet he was ethical and fair and, and uh, always had the growers in uh, mind when he talked about it. Benzinger's passion may be wheat, but he was always looking out for what was good for the farmers. In that sense, Creech says Benzinger breached out into other small grains. You know, he's branched out into the uh, uh, to a barley, whether it's feed barley and, and malting barley. He's he's worked in triticale, and he's worked in organic wheat, and he's really tried to, to diversify his program, and that's really helped him to uh, maintain his program as a relevant program, and also. A lot of what he does in those other lines gets gets used in other states, uh, you know, around Nebraska and and throughout the country, really. Now retired, Benzinger says there are some things he's looking forward to in retirement, which he couldn't do before, such as vacationing in the planting and harvesting season with family. And he has some final thoughts on working for the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I hope people understand how fortunate I feel to have worked at the University of Nebraska. And, you know, it's customary when people retire that they, people get thanked for the work they've done. And so rarely do those people thank the institution that allowed them to be the person they could be. And I think the University of Nebraska has been more than gracious to me to let me become the scientist and the type of person and to follow the dreams that I had for this position. And so I just would like people to understand how wonderful the University of Nebraska is and how wonderful it has been to employees like myself. In his years as a wheat breeder, Benzinger released 61 new wheat, barley, and triticale cultivars, which have been planted on millions of acres across the U.S. His work also brought in $40 million worth of additional annual income for Nebraska wheat producers with increased yields. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Time for the Midday Business Report. Here's Bob Brogan. Wall Street is closed for Good Friday, but stocks rose in many of the markets worldwide that were open. In Asia, stocks in Tokyo, Seoul, and Shanghai all climbed today after the S&P 500 passed the 4,000-point level for the first time. Futures for all U.S. stock indexes also rose, suggesting the S&P 500 may add to its record set yesterday when trading resumes on Monday. U.S. Treasury yields rallied after a report showed employers added hundreds of thousands more jobs last month than economists expected. America's employers unleashed a burst of hiring, adding 916,000 jobs in a sign that a sustained recovery from the pandemic recession is taking hold. The Labor Department says the March increase was the most since August and was nearly double February's gain 
of 468,000. The unemployment rate, meanwhile, declined from 6.2% to 6%. Tesla delivered nearly 185,000 electric vehicles in the first quarter, despite a shortage of computer chips that has hit the global auto industry. The number was more than double the deliveries for the same period last year, and it beat Wall Street estimates of 168,000 for January through March. A company providing services to the Suez Canal says the maritime traffic jam caused by the by the canal's blockage uh, by a cargo ship for nearly a week is continuing to ease. Leth agencies saying today the number of ships waiting to transit has fallen to 206 for more than 300 uh, from more than 303 days ago. On Monday, salvage teams freed that. Skyscraper-sized container ship ending a crisis that had clogged one of the world's most vital waterways and halted billions of dollars a day in maritime commerce. So that is what's in the business news today, and uh, it's great news that that traffic jam was ended. All right, thank you very much, Bob. It appears students generally support the policy announced last week by Rutgers University, mandating students be vaccinated before a return to the classroom in the fall. President of Rutgers University Student Assembly said in a statement that the mandate is, quote, the right move. The student paper also published an op-ed Monday expressing support. But some students have reservations raising concerns about safety of the COVID-19 vaccine, health privacy, and the distinction drawn between students and staff. Faculty and staff are only strongly urged to get the shot, not mandated. Here's sophomore Stefanos Eugenius. Put it simply, it's a double standard, and it doesn't make sense. It's faculty, they're older than us, so they're more susceptible to the virus. So for them to mandate for us and not for the faculty doesn't make much sense. New Jersey ranks 20th in the nation for having fully vaccinated roughly 16.5% of the population. Governor Phil Murphy set a goal to vaccinate 70% of the population by July. Lydia Hu, Fox News. Fox on Tech. Since the Concorde was retired in October of 2003, supersonic passenger travel has been relegated to the drawing board. American aircraft maker Arion has given a glimpse of its next plane that it says will travel at Mach 4, or roughly 3,000 miles an hour, giving it the ability to whisk passengers from Los Angeles to Tokyo in about three hours, a flight that takes just under 12 hours on today's commercial planes. The design is to hold up to 50 passengers with a range of around 8,000 miles, and Arion hopes to take to the skies before the end of the decade. In the next two years, Arion aims to launch the AS2 supersonic business jet. The company president and CEO Tom Weiss said in a statement, the vision for his company is a future where, quote, humanity can travel between any two points on our planet within three hours. Arion is working with NASA's Langley Research Center to speed up the arrival of supersonic flight. Boom and Virgin Galactic have also presented designs for supersonic air travel. With Fox on Tech, Brett Larson, Fox News. 
Welcome to Friday Feeders on the Rural Radio Network, brought to you by FNBO, the great big small bank. I'm Clay Patton, and for this episode of Friday Feeders, we look at a seed stock operation that has perfected developing bulls and heifers on forages and roughages for nearly six decades. The ranch is Flying H Genetics, and their trademark is Roughage and Ready Bulls. I'm joined now by Dick Helms of Flying H Genetics. Dick, give us an overview of how the ranch came to utilize Roughage and Ready in their bull development program. We feel our job as a seed stock producer is to identify superior genetics and eliminate the unacceptable genetics. And over the years, we've developed what we call our 17 quality standards. And every bull we market and sell to our customers has to pass all 17 quality standards. And basically, the way we look at it is our bulls need to be bred for profit, which is the genetic portion and built to work, which is how we develop them so they're ready to go to work the day you buy them. The idea of Roughage and Ready, which you've trademarked Roughage and Ready, but when did this idea of Roughage and Ready come to mind, and how long did it take to transition into developing bulls in that method? It actually took quite a few years and starts clear back in the 60s. The beef cattle were very small at that time. A lot of them were frame threes. A lot of market steers were in that 900,000-pound range. And the cattle had just gotten too small. And so in 1968, we started production testing and identifying cattle that had more growth to them. That kind of helped lead us to the fact that we need to have better genetics and not just try to put on pounds with a corn bucket. What happens, as is many times the case in the beef cattle industry, is we go from one extreme to another and then by the 70s, uh, we were getting up into some frame nine cattle. And basically what we have discovered over the years is that good cattle are not extreme. And same way with uh, developing them then, you know, you don't want the extremes. You know, you can feed a bull with a half inch of back fat, but it doesn't really change what's underneath. We kind of compare it to uh, taking a rusty pickup and repainting it. Yeah, it's going to look a lot better, but it doesn't change the genetics one bit. And so all of those concepts and learning experiences helped us develop our Roughage and Ready program for Nebraska. And then we expanded that with our operation in Missouri, uh, which is uh, what we call fescue country. It's a, an adapted grass that uh, has some issues with it, but it really has tremendous production potential there in that southeast United States. We developed in our grown-on-fescue grass program to adapt the bulls to that environment. We think it's really important that the bulls are adapted and ready to go to work the day you buy them. That is very interesting and good to know that this isn't a fly-by-night operation. This is literally generations in the making to get to where we are today with roughage and ready and fescue-developed bulls. Now, what are advantages that you've seen firsthand from using this roughage and ready program? Well, one of the first things is... is we're able to really identify the good bulls. Some bulls put on fat really easy and they'll look good, but again, it doesn't change the genetics underneath. And so by developing the bulls to where you actually see what you really have and you're not hiding it with fat, uh, makes it much easier to identify and sort out those good bulls and eliminate the ones that are not good enough. Thank you again to Dick Helms and Flying H Genetics for being our guest on this week's Friday Feeders. I'm going to continue this conversation. If you would like to listen in, check out the full-length, uncut episode at RuralRadioNetwork.com.
Bryce Duske joining you on the Rural Radio Network. As the markets are closed today, we're filling our traditional segments with some stories and different interviews you might not hear on a daily basis. One of those airs on the weekend. It is the Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln Update, IANR Update for short. Weekly, we are joined by Vice Chancellor and Vice President Mike Bame. On one of the recent updates, Mike shared information on a USDA grant that Nebraska received for ag production technology research. One of our uh, new assistant professors in the Department of Biological Systems Engineering, Professor Yan Xu, is uh, looking with her team, exactly as you said, um, at the kind of next generation, if you will, of variable rate technology, uh, not only delivering water uh, more specifically to plants, but also taking into account what's going on with the plant. Uh, is the plant under stress? Is the plant uh, growing as expected? Is it growing um, faster than expected? Is it, uh, you name it, take in information about the plant, but also dial in more information about the soil properties. Uh, you know, I'm reminded on this, just to go back to raising Nebraska and that slick uh, variable rate irrigation uh, learning tool that they have where you can actually be the person that's applying the water. You know, we know that topography and soil type um, and speed of the of the unit um, all impact water delivery for the plants. But now this is, seems to me, Bryce, that uh, Dr. Hsu's work and her and the work from this uh, nearly nine hundred fifty thousand dollar grant from the USDA's National Institute for Food and Agriculture is really focused on. Um, kind of smart, smart, uh, take everything we know about smart cropping systems and connect it with variable rate technologies for both irrigation, fertilizer, and perhaps other uh, applications and bring it all together. So it's pretty cool. I've not had a chance to go out to the field and take a look at the uh, the new technologies that they're looking at specifically, but I, I want to go out there and take a look. Fame says Shu and her team will integrate stress sensing, networking, and data-driven modeling with classic plant and soil biophysical principles and well-recognized management practices. If you'd like to hear more from the Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources, you can tune in tomorrow morning to a rural radio network station and catch that full conversation. Those comments again from Vice President, Vice Chancellor Mike Bame. I'm Bryce Duskid inside the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska's Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. All right, thank you very much. That will wrap up this Good Friday edition of Midday. To find the Midday podcast sponsored by Duvetti Motors, check out krvn.com or you can find it wherever else you find any podcasts.